Amen. Well, let's turn into our scriptures, Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, for those of you visiting tonight, welcome. Uh, we've just begun in the last couple of weeks our foray into Second Peter tonight. Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> And we're going to read uh, verses 3 and 4. I'll read verse 2 just for a little context, but we'll focus here on 3 and 4. Let's pray again, and then we'll hear it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Scriptures, and now pray that the Spirit would help me in preaching and help us, Lord, to sit under this Word together, preacher and congregation together. We pray, Lord, for liberty we pray, Lord, for right application. We pray that the word be uh, rightly divided. We pray that it would help those who are young in the faith to be able to drink of the milk of the word, but also there would be something sufficient here for the mature that uh, they might be well fed, that none of your people would look up and go hungry tonight. We pray that the word would encourage us, stimulate us, pray that it would uh, help us to persevere uh, with joy and uh, with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So let's look at chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now in First Peter, you'll remember how Peter deals with the subject of suffering. And here in Second Peter... He is, I think, giving us word of encouragements here that um, we need, not only in the first century, but today as well. And I want to give you three thoughts from these verses. Number one, we have a call to perseverance. And then secondly, we have emphasized by Peter the promises of God. And then thirdly, that we are partakers of his divine power. So perseverance, promises, and partakers, lots of alliteration in the epistle of Peter. Perseverance, promises, and partakers. Now let's look um, at these uh, together. First of all, we see a call here to persevere. He says in verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, there's a lot there in that verse. Notice here again, as we saw last week, that Peter is uh, urging perseverance, but it is a perseverance that is rooted in what? It is rooted in, in the divine power of the Lord. It's the Lord who sustains us. You might remember how the apostle, P, uh, excuse me, the apostle Paul talked about how 
he worked for the Lord and sometimes in some ways harder than the other apostles. But you remember that he quickly qualified what he meant by that when he said, not I, but the Lord in me. That Paul recognized that it was Christ who is at work within us. Now this, I think, should help give you some assurance if you feel worried or you have some anxiety that you might fall short of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to be fair, the New Testament does give us pastoral admonitions and and warnings and exhortations to persevere. But as we use the means of grace, what do we find? That we find God is the one doing the work in us. And so we have, it's not to shake us of assurance, those, those exhortations, but it is nevertheless, to help us to what? Use the means of grace. Notice here, Peter says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That is, everything we have need of to persevere in this world, to persevere in holiness and godliness, comes through a knowledge of Christ. And it is Christ who has called us by his own glory and his excellence. So we have here the foundation for perseverance. Our perseverance is not rooted in ourselves. Thankfully, it is rooted in the Lord. We look to the Lord. Now, you have to cooperate with that to be sure. Uh, boys and girls, you have to read your Bible. You, have to, you, do, you need to pray. You need to listen to the sermons here. You need to... You know, think on these things. You need to pay attention when mom and dad are doing devotions at home. These things will help you. But as you're doing those things, remember that it is, it's the Lord who's working through those things to sustain you and sustain your life and faith. Everything that you have need of for this life, God has already accomplished through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you have all that is needed and necessary to make it as a faithful Christian. I don't know if you're like me, but maybe sometimes you, I know this was more true, I think in my earlier Christian life when I didn't have much Christian experience, but I worried, am I going to be one of those to whom Jesus turns and says, I never knew you. And I'm going to say, well, you know, didn't I do this and that for you? You know, as the scriptures say, you know, that passage in Matthew 7 was in some ways a very terrifying uh, passage um, especially for you know a new and young Christian. But Peter here is trying to encourage us here that because of what Jesus has done, he's given us the grace here um, to persevere. I don't think Jesus here is talking to people with a sensitive conscience who are wanting to serve the Lord and, and be faithful. I think he is here speaking of people who lived a very hypocritical life, who outwardly had a great show uh, of um, you know, doing things in an ostentatious way for Jesus, but yet never really uh, was pursuing a relationship with Christ through the means of grace. And you might be tempted to think maybe of some of those that uh, are in the television ministry, and I think we have good reason to question you know, some of them, not all of them, but some uh, of them. And 
you know, I suspend my own judgment. I'll just, I, I, we'll, we'll let the day of revelation determine where everybody is. But um, that is, I think, what Jesus is addressing in Matthew 7. Here, Peter's, I think, trying to encourage a fledgling first century church. And there's much reason for that, isn't there? I mean, they're surrounded by enemies. They're, they're surrounded by a Roman empire that is hostile to them. Many of these people are Jews. They have experienced hostility in their own homes over Christ because Jesus came and, and two were divided against three and three were divided against two. Uh, mother against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and etc. That those of your own household would be your enemies. And they experienced that uh, as Jews, as synagogues divided over the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, then they, of course, had uh, the idolaters of the first century. You had the Roman Empire. You had the fellow Jews. You had uh, those who were given to idolatry who were upset that these men have come and they're turning upside down the world. And there was a lot against this early church. And so Peter is no doubt comforting them here that they are not going to be overwhelmed despite all the opposition that everything they have need of in this life and for godliness is given to them through Jesus Christ in the Spirit. Notice here that Peter seems to echo the uh, language of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 when he hearkens the church back to the effectual calling of God in uh, verse 3 at the end there. It says that the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory now, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, you'll notice that that was also the theme that Paul led with when he wrote to the Ephesians. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 4 to this church, he said, Just as he, the Father, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that you would be what? You would be holy and blameless, that you would have everything you need to put in the words of Peter, for life and godliness. And notice that both Peter and Paul uh, root this in the election of God. Verse 5 in Ephesians 1, that God predestined us to what? Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So um, notice how, and this is, I think, good pastoral counsel too, the doctrine of election is not a club to hit somebody over the head with in a cage stage Calvinist situation. Rather, it is, the, notice how the scriptures use the doctrine of election as a means of assurance. Both Peter and Paul are using the doctrine of election, the, God, the, the doctrine of God choosing you as a means to encourage you that you will be in glory that you've been adopted. He's chosen you in Christ. You're, you're chosen for salvation, for justification, sanctification, adoption. All of these blessings come to you because God has chosen you. And he has chosen you out of his sheer grace. God has chosen you, and this too is an encouragement. He chose you for his glory, not because of us, not for something he saw in you, not 
for any merit in you, not because he saw how you would respond in time and history, but surely out of his grace he has chosen you. And so if he can choose us, and he's gone to the trouble of choosing us in eternity, and he has gone to the trouble of sending Christ in time and history to die for you, he is going to lavish upon you in Christ all the blessings of the Spirit that you have need of for this world of life and godliness. So you can and you will persevere. Now there are many times we feel faint as Christians. There are many times we have had doubts. We have had attacks of anxiety. We have feared for our souls at times when we have been assaulted by Satan. If you've lived the Christian life for any period of time, no doubt you have experienced something along those lines. Yet, nevertheless, despite it all, just like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, despite the fact that he is wounded uh, by his fight with Apollyon and uh, the fiery arrows that have been uh, shot at him, some which have pierced uh, certain parts of his armor, nevertheless, he survives the attack and he is able to, to continue on his journey to the celestial city. So it is, Peter is saying here, he has called us by his own glory and excellence here. So we are going to persevere as a church. You are, by God's grace, going to persevere despite all the troubles and the tribulations, the sorrows, the setbacks, the satanic attacks, the difficulties, the disappointments, Um, the betrayals, everything else that comes with the Christian life. Um, We will persevere through it all. God, who began a good work in you in Philippians, we are told, will complete it to the day of redemption here. Now, I want to move on to the promises because um, this is something that I once have wanted to study as a series, but never, it's almost too large Um, in some sense. I've never been able to get my mind around them all. But the promises of God. Notice in verse 4, he says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, so that you might be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. The Bible is uh, filled with great promises. Now, what are these promises? Well, I'll just give you a few for the young people here. Young people, you can just hear a few of these promises. For example, in Romans chapter 10, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and you believe on him with your heart, the Bible promises that you will be saved. That's a promise from the Lord. God has given you certain guarantees. He told our father Abraham, that he was to look up and count the stars if he could. He promised this man without a child that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars of the sky. And the Bible says that Abraham believed. We have promises, uh, for example, in Romans, another one in Romans. Having been justified, we have peace with God. We can take not only as a statement, but I think as a promise that we who believed in Christ. Uh, been justified, declared righteous, we have peace with God. God is propitiated. 
We have the promise of protection from the evil one in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, that uh, God has promised us. This doesn't mean that we will never be harassed by the evil one, but we will never be overcome. The Bible says elsewhere, he promises that if we but resist the devil, he will flee. We have the promise of Christ's return. Jesus has said he is going to come back and he's going to bodily glorify you. He's going to raise us from the dead. Now, why was that promise given? Well, you remember that that promise was given to the church because they were concerned that their loved ones who had already died in Christ would be left behind when Jesus comes back. They were concerned that theologically that they now their, their loved ones uh, would not participate in the glorification of the saints because they had already died. And Paul says, don't worry, the Bible promises that they actually will ra be raised first, and then we who are alive in Christ will be caught up in the air with him at the last time. So there's another promise. God will not forget our loved ones who have died in the Lord. He won't forget us if we should die before the Lord returns. We have the promise of the Spirit. Um, the Spirit is, is given, is poured out as a down payment, as an earnest of our glorification. And so we have a promise of glory. The Spirit who dwells within us is, it's like um, he's, he's the money that you put down to, to get that new car at Mike Patton or to buy the house. Uh, you put the money down and that, that is a pledge that you're making that you'll pay off the rest of the loan over time. Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the down payment. That Christ has given his spirit to dwell within us as the promise, the earnest, that you will, you will be glorified and conform to the likeness of Christ. Now, these promises are, are ours in abundance in Jesus Christ. And the promises we are told in the book of Hebrews are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. All the promises which are given to us in the scripture are fulfilled by Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that they are all filled presently. Now, some promises of God, we experience their fulfillment in this present world, but some of the promises have to wait. This, theologically, we've talked about this, the now and the not yet. But God has granted us these precious and magnificent promises, Peter calls them. They are precious, meaning that they are valuable. They help you in ways that uh, the world could never help you. They're precious for their value. And these promises are magnificent, meaning they, they are highly exalted. They are, be, they are to be treated as uh, something wonderful, something that should capture our mind, our imagination, and our affections here. Why does God give us promises? He said so that we would become partakers of his grace, that we would believe on the promises of God and that we would receive the blessings of God. The blessings come by way of faith. And what does faith lay hold to but the promises of God? And the, per, and the greatest of promises, of course, is Christ himself, that in the fullness of time, Jesus came into this world and died for us according to the promises, according to the prophets, according to the law, according to the Psalms. It was written, Oh, foolish men, slow of heart, Jesus said, as he's walking with the men on the road to Emmaus, 
Did you not what? Did you not believe the promises? What was the problem? They were depressed. They were discouraged. They were downcast. They thought Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he would be bringing in the kingdom. And our leaders have crucified him. And now we're getting word that he's missing and his body is not in the tomb. And Jesus admonishes them, doesn't he? He says, what, where, 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 are your, where is your faith in the promises? Were not these things promised in the scriptures? Were these things? And so Jesus goes into that sermon that we'd all love to have heard, right? Probably the greatest redemptive historical sermon you've ever heard in your life. He begins with the scriptures as an unfolding how God through his promises, probably beginning with the first promise in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and how all of this led to Jesus Christ. Now Jesus Christ having come, has fulfilled these promises. And by uh, the fulfillment of these promises, will bring about new fulfillments to other promises that he has made. So these promises are precious, and they are magnificent. Let's not be dull, therefore. Let's not be, as the man in, to refer to Pilgrim's Progress again, the man who is digging in the dirt, and can't see that he has what? He has a crown, a promise of a crown above his head. This is a man, boys and girls, he, he's a discouraged Christian. And he's so discouraged that all he's doing is he, all he can see is this world. And he digs in the dirt. And he, can't, he doesn't realize that above him, God has put a crown above his head. And so Bunyan is, is warning us that we um, not forget well, the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. So we have the perseverance, the promises, and then finally uh, the partakers, and this comes from the language of the New American Standard here. He says, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now he's not saying that we become a divine in the way that Mormons would speak of here. What does he mean, partakers of the divine nature? Here, I think he's simply speaking of holiness, that we, we become holy. We have these magnificent and precious promises that would enable us, by God's grace, to live a life of sanctification. And I, I note that because look at how the, the next clause, I think, qualifies this. Having escaped what? the corruption that is in the world by lust. So I think he is pitting these two things against one another. Being a partaker of the divine nature means living a holy life, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We are to live a life in the Spirit. And how do we live a life in the Spirit? How is it that we are people of who are filled with the Spirit. Luke uses this language, doesn't he? Often in the book of Acts, Stephen was a man filled with the Spirit, we are told. Choose ye among you uh, men who are, what? Filled with the Spirit, we are told, to become deacons. Um, we are told that uh, Apollos and others were mighty uh, men of the Spirit in their preaching. Uh, Apollos didn't even have all the knowledge that he needed at the time, but yet he was a man 
full of the Holy Spirit, what God had given him, he was using to the utmost of his ability and had faith in that which he did know. Now, how do we partake of this holiness? Well, we partake of it through the Scriptures. God's Spirit works hand in hand with that which He has inspired. And what is it? What is God inspired, boys and girls? He's inspired the Bible. And so, just as we saw this morning with King Josiah and the centrality of the Scriptures, so it is tonight. Peter is reminding us that if we are to be partakers of holiness, we're going to have to be men and women of the book. We're going to have to be men and women who bleed, as the Puritans said, bibline. That is, if you pricked them, certain men, they would bleed the Bible. Uh, I think it was even said of Bunyan again. Three references to Bunyan tonight. Um, This is how we escape the corruption around us by being men and women of the Bible. We give ourselves to the Scriptures. And we're going to talk more about this, but I'll give you a a hint of it in verse 5 and following here. He said, notice here, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, etc. here. And we'll talk about these qualities at first. But all of this comes out of the work of the Spirit within us. We are a Spirit-wrought people. That is, the Spirit has caused us to be born anew. The Spirit resides within us. The Spirit makes us the temple of God. Therefore, we should be careful how we treat one another because we are like uh, temples of the Spirit of God within us. And the Spirit, through His Word, helps us to grow in the likeness of our Savior. We are conformed here to his image. We are not conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. What does Paul say? Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you renew your mind? You renew your mind through the scriptures. So it is, we should always think of the ministry of the Spirit with the ministry of the Word. The Spirit calmly operates via the Word. Um, Some Christian traditions do try, I think, to make too much of a separation between Word and Spirit, as though the Spirit operates apart from the Word. But the Spirit works through the Word and helps us. That's why the Word is so important to the church. The Word... Uh, as we saw, is God's word. It is the means of sanctification, John chapter 17. That uh, the word is the means by which the Spirit causes us to grow in grace, to be sanctified. What does sanctification mean? It means to be set apart. We are set apart under what? Under Christ, under holiness, under God. And we are surrounded by a world of corruption, aren't we? The world is as corrupt in many ways today as it was in the first century. Many of the things, uh, now I think in some ways, the the growth of the church has helped restrain wickedness in some ways, but at its heart, uh, the world is as wicked as ever. And some would argue theologically even that maybe the wickedness is increasing because now it's it's militating against the gospel. 
uh, not just a, a, a wickedness that is a wickedness that is sprung out of darkness and ignorance to the gospel. Now we are up against a wickedness that may many times know the gospel, which um, is more pernicious in that sense. But anyway, the, the corruption is in the world, but we will, by God's grace, persevere unto Christ. We have uh, the power, the perseverance, the promises to be partakers of Jesus Christ and of his holiness. Let's pray.